Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 30. Dr. Luke, under the inspiration of the scripture, is speaking to us here. So this is God's word. Verse 9, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying these things to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them, but when the disciples saw it, they were rebuking them. But Jesus called them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Verse 18, And the ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And Peter said, Behold, we have left all that is our own and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more this at this time and in the age to come eternal life. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is your inspired word to us, and we just pray that you'll give the pastor strength and clarity as he presents this text to us. Help us to be willing to change our thinking, change our behavior to adjust to the scripture today. Amen. Thank you, Craig. All right, so we have three stories in today's passage. Three stories. Luke has selected these three stories and he has stuck them together for us to consider this morning. We, we, know, that, we know that Luke and the other Gospel writers didn't record everything. They recorded 
They couldn't record everything. John says there's so much we couldn't record at all. Uh, But we know that carried along by the Holy Spirit, um, they recorded what they recorded. And they did so on purpose. And, And Luke has selected these three stories. He stuck them together for us to consider together. And each of these stories, they're asking and answering the same question. The same basic question. Right? Each of these stories... Um, is asking and answering the same basic question. And that question is, who can be saved? Who can be saved? We saw that in the first story that Craig read. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one man went home justified in verse 14, and the other did not. In verse 17, in the second story, we saw here are, here's who receives the kingdom of God. They have to receive it like a child. If you don't, you will not enter it. And then our third story... In verse 18, the ruler comes and asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? These are, these are three ways of looking at the same thing, right? Who is justified? Who receives the kingdom of God? Who inherits eternal life? Who is saved? And who is not? So that's what we want to do um, this morning. What we want to do is the first part of our sermon, we want to look together and see who can be saved. We're going to look at each of these stories and we're going to see who can be saved. And then I also want to tell you there's a second part coming. second part of the sermon is um, what does God give us in salvation? So first part, who can be saved? Second part, what does God give us in salvation? I, I mentioned to you specifically that we're going to have two parts because one of my daughters doesn't like to be surprised. Um, she says, I think you're about done with your sermon. And then you say, part number two. Or you say, that was just the introduction. And then I groan. Because I know we're going to be here longer. I'm not going to tell you which daughter that is. But this is for her sake, if no one else. There's two parts. So don't get all excited when I'm done with the first part. Who can be saved? Who can be saved? And then, what does God give us in salvation? Let's dig into it together. Who can be saved? From our first story, first we see those who leave their righteousness behind. Who can be saved? First, those who leave their righteousness behind. Jesus tells them this parable. And it's so blatantly obvious to us, right? Jesus is telling this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Verse 9, that they were righteous. They treated others with contempt. And you can hear that in the Pharisees' prayer. It's fascinating that Jesus um, just calls out the Pharisees here. And he says, this is what the Pharisees are like. And there is this Pharisee in Jesus' story. He's standing by himself and he's saying, God, I thank you I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like that tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. And Jesus is comparing and contrasting this man to the, uh, to the tax collector who's standing far off, won't lift up his head, beating his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, the, the tax collector went to his house justified, not the Pharisee. The word is clear here. If you trust in yourself, 
If you, if you, if you live with contempt for others, if you compare yourself to others and say, I'm righteous, I'm good, if you trust in yourself, you will not be justified. Justified is just a, just a fancy word that means okay with God. God's pleased with you. You're right with God. God God considers you righteous. God considers you good before Him. If you're not justified, you are instead guilty before God. And Jesus is saying in this passage, in order to be justified, in order to be saved, you must turn your back on your own righteousness. This would be... It's it's so hard for us to it's so hard for us to um, read this story from any other vantage point but our own. Like as soon as you guys hear the word Pharisee, unless you unless you haven't spent a lot of time in church, if you haven't, I'm super glad that you're here, um, and and hopefully you'll stick around and and continue to learn and grow. Um, but if you spend a lot of time in church, then as soon as you hear Pharisee, you know that's the bad guy, right? We know Pharisees are the bad guys. We just, we just, that's, Pharisees are bad guys. We get that. But when Jesus first told this story, or even when Luke first wrote it down, the first hearers, the first readers would not have thought bad guy. When they thought of Pharisee, they thought of like people like me and you, like the good, moral, conservative, Bible-believing church people. That's what they, they, they thought of the Pharisees as the good guys. We think, yeah, they're the, they're the scumbags. But that's not the way the first century people thought of them. And so it's always surprising, and Luke goes after the Pharisees quite often, because Jesus is going after them, and Luke is just kind of telling us what happened. In Luke's Gospel, the Pharisees are obviously the bad guys. And what's their big crime? Why are they guilty before God? That would have been a very, a very surprising thing for Jesus to say. That, that the Pharisees were not right with God. They were not justified. And their big crime is self-righteousness. They trusted in themselves. They thought of themselves as right with God because of their own goodness, their own good works. They weren't like other men. They weren't extortioners and just adulterers, even like that tax collector over there. They, they fasted twice a week. They gave tithes of all they got. They, they're not like these low-life people. Tax collectors, they're good people. But Jesus says no. Jesus says they're not justified. The, the one who is justified, not the Pharisee, it's the, it's the low-life tax collector. It's the one who's over in the corner saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The one who realizes that there's no goodness in him, there's no righteousness in him, there's nothing he could do to make himself right with God. There's nothing, there's nothing in him, nothing he's capable of that, that makes God happy with him. He needed mercy. He, he needed righteousness from outside of him. He needed the mercy of God through God's Son, Jesus. He needed the perfect life that Jesus lived on his behalf. He needed the perfect blood that Jesus spilled in his place. He needed Jesus to save him. He, he couldn't conjure up anything of his own. He had no righteousness within him, no good things he could do that he could rely on. That's the first, first story 
first point. Who can be justified? Who can be saved? Those who leave their righteousness behind. Our next story, who can be saved according to our next story? Second, those who leave their sufficiency behind. Those who leave their sufficiency behind. Their enoughness. I tried to write the word enoughness. Microsoft Word wouldn't let me write it, so I switched it to sufficiency. I like enoughness. Microsoft Word and I often have these little battles. Now there were they, now they were bringing verse fifteen. They were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. They said, "Now keep the keep the babies away from Jesus, please. Let's just can we please? He doesn't have time for that. Come on, think." Verse 16, but Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. This is a beautiful teaching moment for Jesus. Verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus is um, showing the disciples here. He's showing these parents He's showing the people around. Those who are saved, those who receive the kingdom of God, those who are in, they are like small children. They come in like small children. Which, what he means there, is helpless. They realize they're not sufficient in any way. They, they bring nothing to the table except for a hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're, they're literally like a small child. Helpless. Not capable, not enough, not able, not sufficient. The other day, my wife was in the kitchen and she was talking to one of our children and Haddon, our three-year-old daughter, climbed up on the bar stool and then up on the counter and got about four inches away from my wife's face and said, can I have a snack, 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 over and over and over and over. I asked Denise, if she remembers that, she's like, no, that happens like seven times a day and I just don't even, I don't even feel it anymore. <laughs> I don't remember that particular time at all. I thought it was great. I was watching the whole thing unfold. Denise just, just laser focused talking to our other child, just talking and they were having their own conversation. Haddon is four inches away. Can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? Haddon had a very particular snack that she wanted and she couldn't get it. She's completely dependent on the mercy of my wife, who was at that moment completely ignoring her. It was great. Love it. Life is made up of these moments for me. Yes. Um, my wife loves that I'm so entertained. She just thinks that's precious. Jesus isn't saying to receive the kingdom of God like a small child means that children are more innocent or more deserving or more pure of heart. If you believe that, you need to spend more time with children. That's just, that's how it is. Jesus is saying they're helpless. They're helpless. They're completely dependent. They can't get it on their own. They can't get it on their own. If they're going to get in, it's, it's got to be 
from someone else. Someone else has to do it. To receive the kingdom of God like a small child is to leave our sufficiency behind. It's just to say, yep, I, I can't do it. I'm helpless. Who can be saved? Those who leave their sufficiency behind. And then our final story, our third story, who can be saved? Those who leave their idolatry behind. Um, I, uh, so we hired uh, Colin in like, in like 2019 or something like that. And I think that since we've hired Colin, my sermons have improved. And some of you think that's because you're afraid he's gunning for my job. And so i got to like step up my game or else he'll take over. Um, but that's not it. Here's the reason, if my sermons have improved, here's why. It's because I run them by him first. Um, I show him my notes ahead of time. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't say that. And, uh, and so, you, yeah, you think, wait, so how do you get away with saying all these stupid things you say? Well, that stuff's not in the notes. You know, the... the <laughs> So he doesn't, like, this wasn't in the notes, so he had no way of vetoing this, uh, because I, I'm adding this on the fly. And, uh, and so this is just a cringy moment. It's always a cringy moment when I start to add things on the fly. It's, it's, it's bad for, um, my wife, and it's bad for Colin. Both of them are just like, stick to the notes. What is your problem? Um, anyhow, I, I, when I first wrote this note, I said, I said, those who leave their wealth behind, and Colin's like, no, you don't have to leave your wealth behind to follow Jesus. Lots of rich people follow Jesus. It's like, shut up. What would you call it then? And so we, we figured it out. I would have got there by myself. It just takes, this is just, it's just easier, right? Um, sort things through with him. Uh, idolatry behind. It's not a problem that he was wealthy. His problem was his idolatry. It's the way he treated his money. It's the way this rich man thought about his money, about the, about the way he thought about his wealth. Verse 18, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And Jesus isn't saying he's not God. He's saying, you need to figure out what good means, buddy. You have no idea. You know the commandments, Jesus says. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, the the rich young man said, "Um, all these I have kept from my youth. Yeah, I've just, I've always done all the commandments perfectly. And Jesus doesn't even stop and deal with that, which is crazy. I would have been like, really? Are you kidding me right now? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus lets that go. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, He said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now Jesus doesn't do this when he's, when, when Jesus is calling people to follow him, to trust him and follow him, this is the only time he does it this way. Jesus is a, has a very particular method for this very specific individual. He's doing something because he knows the idolatry in this man's heart. He, he's exposing this man's idolatry. Verse 23, but when the man heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
This man would like you to believe that he's kept all ten commandments. That he just, he, every day just does them all. No problem. He gets it. He does them. But he doesn't. And Jesus' point here is, you don't even keep the first one. The first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. This man had a god, a false god before God. He had an idol. Not a golden statue. He had an idol of his heart. He had something that he worshipped more than he worshipped God. He had something that he loved and trusted more than he loved and trusted God. It was his money. The man wanted wealth more than he wanted anything else. So money was his idol. His idolatry was his worship of money. He, he served money above all else. He needed money more than anything else. He trusted in his money. He found comfort in his money more than anywhere else. Money was his God. And so Jesus says to him, you can't have both. You can't have your idol and eternal life. You must choose. So Jesus is dealing with this particular man in a very particular way. You won't find him doing this with other rich people. Jesus is showing this man his sin. Turn your back on your idolatry and follow me. And the man goes away sad. He won't do it. He won't do it. He wants his money. He wants his money more than anything else. What we see as we work our way through these stories is that those who are saved, they're the ones who leave their righteousness behind. They leave their sufficiency behind. They leave their idolatry behind. (laughs) Hardest thing in all the world, one of the main core reasons why the Gospel is so offensive is because we have to turn away from ourselves. Jesus says to us, deny yourself. Everyone else says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Deny yourself and believe in me. Everyone else says, be true to yourself. Everyone else says, follow your heart. You can do it. Be you. Don't let anyone bring you down. Don't let anyone tell you that you're not good enough all by yourself. Follow your heart. Everyone around us says that, and everything in us says that. That feels like the most real, true, natural thing, to be true to ourselves. And the Gospel says, no, this is why the Gospel just runs right in to everything we naturally believe. We are deeply offended by the Gospel because the Gospel says, no, you're not good enough. If you're, you're, you're not strong enough. If you follow the desires of your heart, the, the, the desires of your heart will land you in hell. Being true to yourself will land you in hell. The hardest thing to do is to turn away from ourselves. And trust in Jesus alone. To say, we're not good enough. I can't do enough good things. I'm not strong enough. I'm not capable enough. I'm not sufficient enough. 
to, to say the, 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 the deep longings and desires of my heart, being very true to myself and getting what I want is actually just idolatry. It's, it's keeping me away. So how is anyone ever saved? If it goes up, if it goes against everything outside of us and inside of us, how does it, how does anyone ever get saved? Disciples have that very same question. When Jesus says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So they heard it in verse 26, who can be saved? This is a very comforting verse for you and me. And this is the reason, if you are saved this morning, this verse is the reason you are. Verse 27, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. If you are saved this morning, if you are in Christ, if you have turned your back on your own righteousness, if you've turned your back on your own sufficiency, if you've turned your back on your idolatry, it is because God has saved you. It's impossible with man. We could never do it. God did it. God in His grace and His infinite power saved us. All of salvation is the work and grace of God. Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. God does it. God saves us. And what does God give us in salvation? Here's part number two of our sermon. What does God give us in salvation? We want to take a quick look at each of our stories one more time, real quick. And we want to see, here's what God gives us in salvation. First, He gives us mercy. That's what we see in our first story. You and I need mercy. You and I need mercy. Spurgeon said, I have a great need for Christ and I have a great Christ for my need. Richard Sibbs, who lived a couple of decades, a couple of centuries before Spurgeon, said, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. If you ever memorize any quotation from any person who lived in the 1600s ever, if you just say, I'm, this is, I'm gonna memorize one, that's the one to memorize. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. The story of the Pharisee and the tax collector always makes me uncomfortable because I am so prone to self-righteousness. I don't think, I don't think that God has a tally system. I think that those who belong to Him, their tally, their tally is expunged. Their record has been wiped clean. But if God had a tick mark system for all of my sins, I think self-righteousness would be one of the leaders. My self-righteous thoughts and words. I am very, very good at self-righteousness. I'm like a self-righteous ninja. I, I can, because here's the thing. Here's what makes me top shelf self-righteous. Like a Jedi. Is because I can self-righteously look down on other people's self-righteousness. That's second level stuff right there. I find myself more often than not saying, I'm so thankful I'm not self-righteous like that guy over there. What a mess. We need mercy. I need mercy. You need mercy. And if you're like me and your initial reaction is, I need mercy, but I don't need it as much as that other person, then you need far more than you realize. Thankfully, Jesus has enough to spare. There's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. 
you could go one route. You could go the route of trying to always discern and figure out when it is you're being self-righteous and then put that to death. That's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. Not saying don't do that. But I think maybe the better, the better method for fighting against self-righteousness or, or for fighting against any sin is to see the endless supply of mercy in Jesus. To celebrate it, to relish it, to live in it, to find in it strength and desire to honor our Savior. That's the first thing God gives us in salvation is mercy. Second story, we take a quick look at that and we see God gives us an approachable older brother. In our second story, God gives us an approachable older brother. I love this. They were, Jesus would love Treasure Island. Jesus would be all about Treasure Island. He'd be all about the Wednesday night children. He'd be all about children's church. He'd be, he'd be all about it. Now they were bringing even infants to him. And, and when the disciples saw, they rebuked him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus says, look, look around. This is, this is who you are, disciples. You are these small children. If you are helpless, I have plenty of time for you. I have, I have an eternity of time for you if you are help, helpless. If you realize you bring nothing to the table except a hunger and thirst for my righteousness, then I'll always have a spot for you at the table, Jesus says. We were reading through Hebrews the other day and I was clobbered once again by this verse that, that wraps up with, that is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers, to call us sisters, to call us family. Jesus is not ashamed to call me His brother. I wonder how many times I've downplayed I've, 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 I've downplayed my relationship to Jesus. How many times I've gone out of my way to make sure I don't offend anybody. Make sure that... I don't talk too much about my relationship to Jesus. Talk too much about the Gospel. Don't want to bother anybody. How many times have I been, in a, in a, in a sort of a low-key, subtle way, I've been ashamed to call Jesus my older brother? He's never been ashamed to call me his little brother. If, if you've been saved by the mighty grace of God, Jesus is your approachable older brother. He's not ashamed of you. That's the second thing God gives us in salvation. And then third... He gives us a future better than we could ever imagine. Verse 28, And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And Peter's, Peter, here's the story of the, of the rich young man, and, and he sees the rich young man get offered. He's, the, the, the offer's on the table, and the rich, man, the rich young man could, could turn away from everything and follow Jesus, but he won't because of his idolatry. And, and, and Peter just wants it to be out there and open and clear Hey, that's not us. We're, we, we left you. Remember Jesus? Like, remember? 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 
Jesus, of course, is patient with him and kind and reassuring and says to him, yes, yes, Peter, yes, Peter, yes, Peter. And then he says to him in verse 29, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Yes, 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 Peter. Yes, you have. You have given up much to follow me. And Peter is going to give up even more to follow Jesus. Yes. In this life, yes, you, you, you may very well lose out on friendship and, and family. Yes. Yes, if you follow Jesus, there's going to be cost. There's going to be actual cost. But Jesus says, it is going to be infinitely worth it. What you receive simply in this life, if you lose, if you lose out with, with friends or maybe even biological family in this life, if you, if you, if you lose out because you're following Jesus, if you miss out in this life, you're gonna receive, you're gonna receive from the, from the family of faith, from the, from Jesus' family, you're, you're going to receive encouragement. You're gonna, you're gonna receive help and strength and comfort. What you lose, you're gonna more than make up for. Because the, the, the friendship that you have with the people of God, it, it comes from God Himself. It's comfort that is, that is channeled through God's people. It's enough! Second Corinthians talks about we have, we have plenty of affliction in Christ and we have more than enough comfort for all of our affliction. What you lose in this life, you will more than make up for. And, Jesus says, eternal life is coming. Eternal life is coming. Eternal, abundant life. Perfect joy. Perfect peace. Perfect safety. All in the presence of God. Forever. So yes, you will give up. You will miss out. You will come up short in this life. But because of Jesus, God will give you a future that is better than you could ever imagine. Those who by God's grace... Sure, it's impossible with man, but it is very possible with God. Those who by God's grace leave their own righteousness and sufficiency and idolatry behind and turn to Christ alone for salvation, they will be given mercy. They will be given an approachable older brother who is not ashamed to call them family and a future that's better than they could ever imagine. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for Your Word. We thank You that a day is coming where because of Your grace, because of Your mercy, we will dwell in safety forever. We will dwell secure forever. And a thousand times more than that, more important than that, we will dwell with You forever. You will be our God and we will be Your people.
We thank you, God, for your great grace. Pray that you would teach us once again today the richness of your mercy and the the, the just incredible treasure that we have in Christ. And if there's folks here who have never turned away from their righteousness, their sufficiency, their idolatry, they've never trusted in Christ alone and said, that's that's, I need mercy from outside me. I need, if I'm going to be right with God, if I'm going to be forgiven of my sins, I need what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Pray that they would say that in their heart. Today, God, we thank you that this is possible because of your great grace. In Christ's name, amen.